Well, good evening, church. Welcome back to our Sunday night teaching series on the parables. Lessons from heaven for life on earth. This is part seven. Calling tonight's study the parable of the other sower. If you recall, we wrapped up this parable part looking at the parable of the soils. We took three weeks on the parable of the four soils, the seed of the word and how it works in the soils. And then Jesus follows up with this parable of the other sower. So we're looking at Matthew chapter 13, get a Bible, verses 24 to 30. He put another parable before them saying, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed Good seed in his field. That's kind of what we were studying in the parable of the soils. 25. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, remember some some 30, some 60, some 100 fold Jesus talked about. When the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? So there's the issue. Weeds among among the the good fruit. Why, Why is this world all messed up? Where does this wickedness come from? This is what people want to know. If God is a good God, Look at all the terrible things going on. How do you Christians believe in a good... Where, whence these weeds? Where do the weeds come from? 28. And he said to them, an enemy has done this. So the servant said to him, and this just seems to make sense, then do you want us to go and gather them, the weeds? Let's just go get the weeds. But he said to them, and this must have been surprising, no. Don't do that. Lest in gathering the weeds, you root up the wheat along with them. 30. Let both grow together until the harvest. There's a harvest coming. And at harvest time, not before, but at harvest time, I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned but gather the wheat into my barn. Okay, that's the parable. And then just like with the soils, Jesus gives the explanation of the parable and he picks it up in verse 36. So keep reading, Matthew 13, 36. Then he left the crowds and went into the house and his disciples came to him saying, explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. Jesus, what does this mean? 37. Jesus answered, the one who sows the good seed is the son of man. It's the gospel. The field is the world. Okay, that's clear. The good seed is the children of the kingdom. Now, it's slightly different. In the parable of the soils, the good seed is the word. It says clearly here, the good seed, Jesus is changing his imagery. The good seed, they're people, the Christians, the people of the kingdom. Middle of 38, the weeds are the sons of the evil one. So these are people too. 39, the enemy who sowed them is the devil. 
Jesus keeps his explanation very clear. The harvest is the close of the age. That's when Jesus comes again. The reapers are angels. 40. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so it will be at the close of the age. There's going to be judgment for the wicked. There's just no getting around what Jesus says. 41. The Son of Man will send his angels. They will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers. It kind of kind of messes up a pre-trib rapture theory where the weeds are gathered first and then the crop. It's kind of the exact opposite of what we've kind of come to think. So the Son of Man will come, 41. He will send his angels. They will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers and throw them into the fiery furnace in that place. It's a place, a real place. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. 43. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. And then Jesus, he's the only one who ever says these words. Only Jesus says this. He who has ears, let him hear. Pay attention. Jesus is saying. So this parable follows right on the heels of the parable of the four soils. But it it layers, it kind of layers another level of truth. I have four ideas that I want to try and present uh, hopefully fairly quickly, okay? Point number one. We are never to forget there's a spiritual and personal mind orchestrating Opposition to God's work in this world. I get that in verses 24 and 25. He put another parable before them saying, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. And then the explanation, 38, 39, Very clear explanation, no doubt about it. The field is the world, the good seed, that's the children of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one. The enemy who sows them is the devil. The harvest is the close of the age. And the reapers are angels. Clear as a bell. So, so there's a personality, a mind orchestrating evil in this world. That's the first point. The enemy, the devil, that's who Jesus says it is, he does everything in his power to, first, in the parable of the soils, the enemy does everything he can to prevent the word from rooting in my heart. He steals the word from the wayside soil. The birds, the Satan comes and snatches them up. He promotes stubbornness under the surface of my life, these rocks that keep the roots from going down. He crowds my affections, distracts me from loving the word with thorns and thistles, the cares of this world, Jesus says, and the love of riches. So that's what Satan does in good soil to keep the seed from producing good fruit. Then Jesus tells this parable, even in the soil that receives the word, receives the word with depth, so there's fruitfulness, real transforming power in the word. Even even where Satan can't prevent the seed from growing in my heart, he will oppose. Those are two different things. If he can't prevent it, 
with thorns and thistles and rocks under the surface and wayside soil. If he can't do that, if I receive the word in a good, faithful heart, if Satan can't prevent that from happening, he will oppose it. He tells this parable of the work of the enemy after the good soil makes a response to the word. That's what this parable is all about. It's about the kind of opposition all Christians, good Christians, fruitful Christians, the kind of opposition we need to expect in this world as we try and obey the Lord, as we try to follow the Lord. It's all about Satan's hatred of the growth of the kingdom in this world. He never quits. He does everything in his power in his limited amount of time to bring opposition to Christ's cause. So here's this parable, the other sower. And in word pictures, it has this truth that I think we've all experienced. Why is there so much anger and opposition to the clear proclamation of the gospel in this world? Why this hatred of the lordship of Jesus? Why is every religion tolerated except ones that focus on the uniqueness of Christ? Why do people embrace Jesus' golden rule, but reject him as our only savior? Why are there whole empires that will forbid the gospel? What? Why, why, when people want to curse, do they say Jesus Christ? You never hear anyone say, oh, Buddha. Why, Je- why just Jesus? That's the question. That's the issue this parable is hitting straight on as Jesus tells it. What did Jesus do to deserve such terrible treatment in this world? Put it another way. Why is it so hard to instill standards of holiness and purity in young minds? Why is it that whenever you try to teach basic standards of righteousness to families or congregations or students, you feel like there are whole industries pushing in the opposite direction? Who is making wickedness and stupidity so so popular, so appealing. Who's doing this? Who's, who is greasing this downward path for those who are lazy in studying truth and holiness? And I think you start to see this is a really powerful parable that hits these issues straight on. Jesus says there's an enemy, 25. While his men were sleeping, we don't notice Satan doing it. It's, it's a behind-the-scenes thing. It's hard to observe. While his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. And, and just notice, it's his enemy came. Christ's enemy. Satan, we shouldn't flatter ourselves. He's really not that interested in us. He He only wants to hurt Christ's cause through us. He's Christ's enemy, God's enemy. So here comes this parable, and Jesus is saying, if 
if the church is going to think like Jesus, we need to think about this enemy. He's very active. Jesus traced the opposition to his word and to his work in this world. He traced it back to invisible structures, personalities, people. Sons of the evil one. There's a real devil, and he works hard opposing Christ and those who follow him. Okay, that's the first point. Point number two. I think the parable shows the need for both patience and understanding in Christ's church. If she's to endure and flourish until he comes again. The Jewish people in Jesus' time and Christ's own disciples, they had certain expectations of the Messiah's coming that led them to some false conclusions and false hopes as to what Jesus would do when he came on the scene. Perhaps perhaps they, they were locked into John the Baptist's thundering words. I was reading these in Matthew chapter 3. Look these up. Matthew chapter 3. Uh, verses 1 to 3, and then we'll jump down 10 to 12 just to save some time. Matthew 3, 1 to 3. In those days, so John the Baptist comes on the scene. John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, quote, the voice of one crying in the wilderness Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. And then it continues. Verse 10. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down, thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me, that's Jesus, he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Listen, verse 12, his winnowing fork is in his hand. He will clear his threshing floor, gather his wheat into the barn. The chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. There, there it is. That's what Jesus is going to do with his enemies. Praise God. He's going to come with such blazing power and authority that finally, finally, he's going to crush all the opposition. The king will rule with unchallenged authority. And this was their expectation. You you can see it even even when it gets twisted up in the disciples' minds a little bit. Look at James and John. Look what they said when these Samaritans refused to accept Jesus' message. It's in Luke chapter 9, 51 to 56. When the days drew near for him to be taken up, he's going to be crucified, rise from the dead, Ascend to heaven. When the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem, and he sent messengers ahead of him who went and entered a village of the Samaritans to make preparations for him. Look at this, 53. But the people did not receive him because his face was set toward Jerusalem. Jews, Samaritans wanted nothing to do with each other. And when his disciples, James and John, saw it, they said, get this, Lord, Do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? He turned and rebuked them. 
They went to another village. There, that, that's what the Messiah should do with these wicked people. Burn them up. Get the opposition out of the way. Rip out the weeds. John the Baptist, so praised for his greatness by Jesus himself, he had a hard time with this same issue. I don't want to wear you out, but, but look at Matthew 11, 2 to 6. John is in prison, okay? Now, when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, so he's saying to Jesus, are, are you the one who is to come? Or shall we look for some? Is there somebody else? Same. This is the same John the Baptist. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Only, what's happening here? Well, John's in prison. The weeds are winning. Are you the one? This, this, isn't, this, isn't, this isn't turning out the way I thought it would. Things are all messed up. For Jesus answered them, go, tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the poor have the good news preached to them. Blessed is the one who's not offended by me. Don't get false expectations. It's not that John was afraid to face persecution. That's not it. It's not even that John was afraid to die. That's not it. These words of John, they aren't really words of fear. They're more words of Confusion. The Messiah was supposed to come and trample his enemies. He was supposed to put an end to persecution and oppression. He's supposed to rip out the weeds. Then, then why is John in prison? Had he missed something? Why are the enemies partying and dancing upstairs And John, the righteous proclaimer of Christ, is in prison. Where where was that winnowing fork and the sword cutting into the roots of the trees? It's not just some distant, remote theological issue, church. This this is a red-hot coal in the minds of many people today. You've heard the questions a thousand times. What, a, what about all the wickedness and violence and war and bloodshed and injustice and racism and intolerance? And why, why is this world the way it is? Why, why does blasphemy go unchallenged? And Jesus tells this parable reminding me, reminding you, His is not the only kingdom being built in this world. There's another sower, very active. Remember the presence of the enemy. See the root of the evil that pervades this present worldly scene. If you're looking for all these things to disappear now, you're going to be frustrated, doubtful, discouraged, and confused. And here's why this is all so important. Point number three. 
this parable not only deals with where opposition comes from, it also tells the church what she should be doing about it. And this is a hard pill for us to swallow, I think. There's a lesson in this parable that especially progressive Christians are going to find very hard to accept. These words directly from Jesus. Look at 28 to 30, Matthew 13, 28 to 30. He said to them, the master says to the people with the question, an enemy has done this. So the servant said to him, this is the logical question, isn't it? Do you want us to go and gather them? We've got to do something about this. And they must have been shocked. 29, he said, no. What? No. Lest in gathering the weeds, you root up the wheat along with them. 30, let both grow together until the harvest. These workers don't want to wait until the harvest. They want, they want, to, they want to fix this now. And the, and the master says, no, harvest. Think about harvest. And at harvest time, verse 30, I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first, bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. Okay, an enemy has done this. Good, good. There, there. now we know. That's where the opposition comes from. So the laborers have a great idea. Well, we're going to fix this. Let's go and tear up those weeds by the roots. No, the master says. That's not my plan. You'll do more harm than good that way. I will deal with this problem at the judgment, harvest. Let, let me, let me, let me try to say this in a way that can be as rememberable as I can. And let me explain this in case you jump to a wrong conclusion. But here's the point I want to make. It is not, it is not the role of the church to stamp out all the wickedness in this world. I hope that doesn't shock you too much. It is not the job of the church to win every debate, to stamp out all the wickedness. It is the job of the church to proclaim the gospel and convert the lost to Christ. Now, don't get confused here. It is the job of the church to correct, punish, and at times even discipline wickedness that is in the church. The Bible talks about that. Jesus, Paul, and others deal very pointedly with that. But in this parable, Jesus isn't talking about wickedness in the church. He's talking about wickedness in the world. 38, the field is the world. See that in verse 38? The field is the world. That's what Jesus is addressing here. Wickedness in the world. And Jesus says it's a huge mistake. No, it's spiritually wrong for the church to spend her time sniffing out and rooting up all the agents of wickedness in this world. Well, what are we supposed to be doing? Fortunately, we don't have to guess and we don't get to pick our own job description. We have an assignment. So Matthew 28, 
18 to 20, you know these words. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. That's Jesus. You get the same idea from the Apostle Paul. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 to 20. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So we've been reconciled, and we're supposed to go and and have other people reconciled to Christ as well. That is, 19, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us, that's the church, the message of reconciliation. Therefore, here's the church, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us, and we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. There's our message. Get right with God. That's the mission of the church. She's to call people everywhere to salvation through faith in Jesus Christ, God's son, our only redeemer. Now, here's what happens. As people come to Christ, they must lead other people to Christ. And all of these Christians move out into their own worlds. They become Christian police officers, Christian teachers, Christian parents, Christian politicians, Christians in the media. And they, as individual Christians, not the church, the Christians, they become salt and light. People see their good deeds, glorify their Father in heaven. And so in Jesus' parable, these noble but confused workers, they're all set. They're angered, like we all are. The seeds of the enemy, the wicked people doing bad things, um, striking out against Christ, opposition to Christ. And these workers, they're chewing at the bit to rip out these weeds. And then, in Jesus' warning, waving red flags and blowing a whistle, no, that's not the way to do it. Don't put your enemies there. Your calling isn't to eliminate evil. Your calling is to intercede in prayer and proclaim the gospel. Because nobody else is doing that. This is always the reminder the church needs to receive. Read your New Testament, because there are some shocking things you should notice. Aren't you surprised that neither Jesus, nor Paul, nor Peter, nor James, nor John, none of them really say one sentence about the social evils of the day and what the church should do about it. That really bugs a lot of people. You don't have in the Bible a manual for moral reform in society. It's not in there. The Bible was never written to be a moral handbook for all the people of the world, regardless of saving faith or not, just to 
achieve a more just life in this fallen world. The church was never called to just eradicate these evil from society at large. The Bible was written, Old Testament to New, to trace God's saving plan. From Old Testament prophecy and prediction and picture and model to New Testament fulfillment. And the church exists to make sure that message reaches everyone before harvest time. Well then, boy, Pastor Don, I don't know. What about all those weeds, the opposition, the persecution, the wickedness that's just constantly warring against Christ's kingdom? Well, here's what Jesus said in his parable. That's our last point, point number four. Christians must labor, and this gets harder and harder to do. Christians must labor with full confidence in God's righteous judgment at the end of the age. 30, Matthew 13, verse 30. Let both grow together until the harvest. At the harvest time, I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first, bind them in bundles to be burned. Gather the weed into my barn. And then Jesus explains those words further. I know we read them, but I'm going to read them again. They're so important. Matthew 13, 39 to 43. Jesus gives the explanation. This isn't parable now. This is factual information Jesus is giving. Matthew 13, 39. The enemy who sowed is the devil. The harvest is the close of the age. The reapers are the angels. 40. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so it will be. This is going to happen. That's what Jesus is saying. So it will be at the close of the age. The son of man, Jesus says, that's me. The son of man will send his angels. They will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers and throw them into the fiery furnace. If you don't like that, tell Jesus. In that place, there will be weeping, gnashing of teeth. 43. Then at harvest, the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, pay attention. This is the way it's going to be. He who has ears, make sure you're hearing this, Jesus says. So the destruction, the elimination of all the forces of wickedness, it's taken out of the church's hands. Some things are our work. Some things aren't our work. I can't stop all those who marshal the cause of sexual perversion or homosexuality. I can't stop all those who assemble and plan with the sole agenda of taking lives of pre-born children in this world, 42 million little boys and girls in a year, the population of Canada and more exterminated. I wish I could stop that. I can't stop the strife of greedy nation against greedy nation. But listen, as a Christian citizen, not the church. As a Christian citizen, I can vote, I can lobby, I can protest, I can marshal everything I can marshal, and I should make all the difference I can. But the church collectively, not Christian citizens, the church collectively has a different role 
from the Christian citizen. Tell you what I do know for sure, and I'll tell you what I have to do to be ready for my appointment before the judge of this world. I'm going to read another text. It's Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians 6, 10 to 20. Paul, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may stand against the schemes of the devil. That's the the other sower in Jesus' parable. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against cosmic powers over this present darkness, against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, what are we supposed to do? Take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. 16, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, faith in that harvest. It's coming, harvest time. Trust. Take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Here's what I want you to hear. And also for me, pray this, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. For which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Isn't that interesting? I mean, think about it for a minute. With all the wickedness and iniquity, Paul says it's all over the place. Paul says, pray pray for boldness that I can proclaim the gospel. Is that what you would have requested? Why not remove all these wickedness? Get these people out of here. What's Paul praying for? Well, pray that I'm bold to proclaim the gospel in this world. Pray that I'm bold to proclaim the truth of God's word, even when other people hate it and persecute me for it. I'm in chains, he says. So pray that I'll have... doesn't even pray for his deliverance. Just help me to keep the gospel going. Oh, church, evil will be dethroned. All of it. Every wrong will be undone on that day when Jesus comes again. Every wrong except one. It will be too late for anyone else to come to Christ. No wonder, Paul says, in the midst of all the darkness, in the midst of my chains, with Jesus coming back, harvest time in the parable, we got to get the gospel out. It's more urgent than ever. So we must labor with that judgment in mind. Jesus talked about end-time judgment. Some people think it's Paul. Oh, that Paul, he's so bleak and harsh. 
Jesus talked more about end-time judgment. Gentle Jesus, meek and mild, talked more about end-time judgment than anyone else in the Bible. Jesus did. There are all sorts of good causes which, as a Christian citizen, raise your voice, take your stand, do your work. God bless you for it. But the church has one assignment. Pour all our energies, all of our resources into our Lord's calling and commission. At harvest time, no one else can come to Christ. If we don't do this, there's not another organization on earth that will. And that's when the devil laughs. Reach the lost with that harvest in view. And God help our church to stay on track. And I'm hoping everyone said, amen. Let's pray. Some of your parables just, uh, they slap us in the face a little bit. We are just so grateful that we have revelation, not opinion, not philosophies of men, even religious men. We have words from God. We have words from our creator. We have words from our ascended Lord about the church, about the end of the age, and about the power of the gospel. Keep Cedarview Community Church on track. As Christian citizens, let us labor for good in this world for all we are worth. But as a church... Help us reach the world with the gospel that gets to the root of wickedness in the human heart in a way nothing else can. Thank you for your word. Thank you for our church. Keep us all safe and in your care until we meet again. In Jesus' name I pray and thank you. Amen. Amen. God bless you, everybody. Love one another. Join us for our prayer time.